Coming up in today's Locked On Angels, okay, this lockout thing is kind of weird, right? What do both sides want? Let's talk about what the players want. Let's talk about what the owners want. That's all coming up right now on Locked On Angels. You are Locked On Angels, your daily Los Angeles Angels podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Steve Granado. Thanks for checking us out. You can shoot me a follow over on Twitter at Steve Granado, G-R-A-N-A-D-O. And of course, my other podcasts, if you haven't checked those out already, Movies I Should Have Watched and Our Game. Those are both linked in the episode description here. Um, if you missed part one, I highly suggest you go back. We had a chat with Alex Baisley and Bobby Wagner of Tipping Pitches, the podcast, um, that Full episode is already available, is linked in the episode description. You can always check that out. It goes over the basics of what a lockout is, what a CBA is, and everything that you need to know to make sure you are fully informed about what's going on in the MLB lockout. Of course, this episode we are going in way more specific detail on what both sides want. The Tipping Pitches guys are great. They're super, super smart, and they are really good about this. I highly encourage you to go check out their podcast if you haven't already it's definitely going to help you get through this lockout so they are here gracing us gracing us with their uh, presence to talk about this stuff let's go ahead and jump on over to alex and bobby let's talk about the lockout Alex and Bobby of Tipping Pitches here hanging out with us. If you missed part one of our conversation, the nuts and bolts essentially of what a lockout is, what the CBA is, and all that information and concerning what you, the fan, has to worry about moving forward, um, that is available linked in the episode description down below. Alex and Bobby, Tipping Pitches, uh, great podcast all about the labor side of baseball and, of course, all the fun side of it as well, um, and, and a real good listen. If you guys haven't checked it out, I highly encourage it. Um, Let's let's go ahead and move into the nitty gritty of this. Um, let's start from the player's side because that's pretty much what you guys are are usually on the side of, and and personally myself as well. Um, what do what are the big sticking points for the players? What do they want out of the upcoming CBA? So, I think that there are a couple things that they absolutely need. One of those things is they want to slightly change how younger players get paid. They want to move up the window at which young players can start to cash in on that generational wealth for themselves and their families. As it currently stands right now, without getting too, too far in the weeds, you know, in your zero through three years as a player, you get called up to Major League Baseball. Uh, you basically get paid the league minimum, which is a few hundred thousand dollars. And then after that third year, you are eligible for salary arbitration, which means you can uh, go through this very convoluted process that we just spent a whole episode of our podcast talking about last week, explaining the CBA concepts, um, focusing on arbitration. And what that means is you submit a salary number, the team submits a salary number, and a neutral panel of three people chooses which salary number you actually get paid. Many guys settle on a number in between those two numbers before you ever get to the arbitration process. But that's when you start making you know, your $2 million, your $5 million. If you're an MVP candidate, and you're a young guy, you might start to make 15, $20 million. But that is like the upper, upper echelon of guys. So six years, you have to wait six years of your career before you hit free agency. That's pretty long. I mean, a lot of guys, that's a, that's a long time to get injured. That's a long time for a pitcher to have Tommy John. Um, the, the Players Association is concerned that it's taking guys too long to get to free agency 
And then when they finally do get to free agency, some of them are 30, 31, 32. And that middle class of players, they're not getting a lot of big offers from a lot of different teams because teams only want cheap young guys now. That's the new trend that um, you know a lot of cutting edge, quote unquote, analytical front offices have focused on is younger guys under team control that are making less. And so that is the problem that the that the Players Association is primarily trying to address is letting the guys who are getting called up younger and having a bigger impact earlier in their careers than they've ever had up to this point in baseball history is allowing those guys to approach something closer to their market value. Yeah, I think they really, just to, to quickly add on to that, I think they really want to address service time because service time manipulation has been a, a massive sticking point for, for quite a few years now. And I think the players realize that this is something that cannot continue to exist, at least in its current iteration in the next CBA. And obviously, this current CBA also technically does not allow for service time manipulation. Uh, the, the catch is that as long as the team doesn't come out and say, we're manipulating the service time of this player, they can do it. And so I think the players want to make a little more explicitly uh, clear that you know, service time manipulation is maybe not the or, or calculating service time. There needs to be a, a change in the way that's how actually calculated, right? Maybe it's just the the second a player reaches professional baseball, right, or the second they uh, they reach the the major leagues, and you just have kind of two uh, simultaneous clocks that are going. Again, these are just all kind of suggestions that are that are being thrown around, but those are really the things. Is I think they're trying to look out for their younger players who you see time and time again really just getting screwed by the market. Yeah, and I think yeah, like you know that's very relatable for most fans too, right? Like even if you don't care about the nitty gritty of does this help the player side or does this help the owner side, if you think about something like service time manipulation your team's best prospect is not going to get called up when they're ready period like that is the de facto team building method is keep these guys down until the very last minute until you're ready to quote unquote compete but like you know who's ready for some major league at bats adley rutschman you know you know who is ready for major league at bats the second they sign a contract is shohei otani like these these people who are are prospects but and Motani's service side was not manipulated, but you know what I mean? Like these guys are ready younger than they ever have been. And very few teams are really calling them up. They're keeping them down in the minor league so that they can gain an extra year of service time where they're on cheap contracts. And they're saying they have to work on their defense. You know, Chris Bryant can't get called up to the Cubs until the day after his service time deadline, because he has to take a couple grounders with the triple A team. So I, I do think that like even though it seems very uh in the weeds, like service time manipulation and keeping prospects down is something that hurts everybody involved in the game, other than just the straight up owners' pockets. Definitely have seen some of the owners. I was just gonna bring up the Chris Bryant situation and you took the words right out of my mouth, man. That was that was probably one of the most egregious ones. The Kellenic situation in Seattle, who Angels fans are, I imagine, fairly well versed in and, and how that all shook out with the Mariners. Um, but there's a lot of things like that that are, are certainly uh, rubbing players sour, I would imagine. Um, but let's let's move on to the owner's side. And, and I know that this is going to be a little bit biased on our part. We are not owners. We are not millionaires or billionaires or anything like that. Um, we, we are lowly podcasters, um, but mo moving, uh, in, into their scope, 
what are some of the things that owners are trying to get out? I know that one of the main sticking points for them seems to be the expanded playoffs. And can, can, can you kind of expand on that? And if there's any other major points from the owner's side that they're looking at? Yeah, expanded playoffs are huge. And it seems cash o- cow, obvious to cash say, but like, it's going to bring in a lot of TV money for them, right? That means more teams, which means more games, which means bigger TV contracts. More hours of commercials. And that's kind of really all there is to it on that one. And like that sounds kind of reductive, but it's a it's a huge thing that the owners want. And and the players have to, you know, have to give this to them in order for the, you know, in whatever, in order for the owners to agree to the contract, whatever it is. And so it is a, you know, a point of leverage that the players have over the owners to say, hey, you want this thing that's going to make you millions and millions and down the road, maybe billions of of dollars. You know, we need you to uh, adjust the the economic structure of the game a little bit. So, so that really is a a big one. And I think they, you know, they are always trying to make. We talked about it, uh, you know, last week on our episode with arbitration. But ever since the owners implemented arbitration, they have been trying to roll it back because they they realize that it largely hurts them because what it ends up doing is driving up the the cost of players when you when you bring in a a neutral third party to decide between uh, two proposed salaries for a given player, it forces both parties to come to the table with a somewhat fair number. And so, when you have a, a free agency market that is literally determining what the the market value of a player is, you can use that in arbitration. You can turn around and say, well. Player X is making $10 million, and I'm pretty much as good as Player X. Therefore, I deserve $10 million or, or close to it. And the teams are, are effectively contractually obligated to, the, come, to, the, to come to the table with, with something close to that, right, to at least keep them in the conversation. So that's why you saw, for example, um, you know, they wanted a, a, a set pool of money for arbitration, Right, because they they don't want salaries to to continue rising to to you know spending a billion dollars in arbitration in a given off season or something like that. So that's another thing that I think the owners are really going to be agitating to change is say, how can we? You guys want fairer salaries? How can we give that to you without keeping the trend line going upward? <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. They got you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit just using the promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. Basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, and, and just as a quick kind of overview of how these things usually work in general in CBA negotiations and labor negotiations is 
it's typically the worker side, the player side in sports, trying to push for things that they think will be better for their side. And the owner side, the management side, trying to figure out different ways that they can say no. Because essentially what a CBA is, it's it's a bunch of things that are guaranteed that the workers will get. Like whether it's protections, it's whether it's 401ks, whether it's pensions, whether it's healthcare, whether it's uh, salary arbitration in baseball, all these things. And before there was a CBA, before there was a union, the, the management could just decide at their free discretion whether they gave any of those things away at all. They could give them none of those things. They could give them no free agency. They could give them, you know, $250 a year or whatever, $1,000 a year, whatever they were making before there was a union that came in and started fighting for these higher salaries, started fighting for more of the revenue of baseball because the players are the ones that are actually generating the product. Um, and so typically what happens in CBA negotiations is the the player side has to decide the things that they want to push for and fight for and win for their side. And the owner side has to try to figure out ways to, to say no to those things. It's actually kind of unique that the owners are the ones that want the expanded playoffs. It, it doesn't always happen this way. Like it, it just happened in the NFL this way, actually, where the owners wanted the 17th game. And it almost always is because in sports, because of the TV rights and the TV revenue, because that is the principal driver of revenue for all sports around the world is TV contracts. I mean, the Premier League just blew up because of a new TV contract and the, the, the you know, the payroll and the revenue and everything, and the profits for that just went through the roof. It's more profitable than ever. I mean, we're seeing now that because like live sports are the only thing that people that is left on cable and that people watch on TV, like it's worth so much more money. So it's actually a unique circumstance that the owners want to push for something. So the players are in a kind of cool position that they can decide what they want to trade in exchange for that thing that the owners want really badly. And on the side of adding more games because of playoffs, I think one thing to remember is, you know, especially from the Angels perspective is, you know, we haven't been there in years and we're not going to get into that kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean that Artie Moreno or, you know, owner B, whose team did not make the playoffs, doesn't get money because they do because it's a shared revenue throughout Major League Baseball owners. So that's one thing to definitely it, it help. It benefits them all, even if they don't make the playoffs. And, and what I've talked about and I know what you guys have talked about on tipping pitches is, at least from my vantage point, expanded playoffs means less competitiveness and players or owners don't necessarily need to go out and buy the best players anymore because oh well you know mariners would have got in so now we're not going to sign robbie ray because we project we're going to win just as much as last year so we're not going to sign robbie ray anymore um so things like that of that nature can certainly uh become factors um from away from the business side of these kinds of things let's look back towards more on the field and some things that have been floated and one thing that obviously is massive in the American League, and I don't want to get too hard into this here. And, and I know I know that you guys are differing <laughs> on these opinions, but I know you're... It's like you one of three things that we don't agree on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You haven't even said it yet. We already know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you guys already know. But how likely, it seems very likely, but like how likely is DH in the NL of just like straight up, screw this, we're not going to do this anymore. Everyone's going to play with the DH because we saw it in 2020 and it was just fine. No one died uh, in that regard. Shouldn't say that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> as far as, uh, what a slip. But um, moving uh, towards the DH in the NL, does that like, is that playing on the money factor? Like do the NL owners, are they like up in arms about that? Or are they just like, whatever, that's a concession? No, it's actually very interesting that you asked that specifically, does it play on the money side? Because 
<laughs> if we turn the clock back a little bit to 2020, I know most of us have tried to forget as much as possible about 2020, but basically what happened was because the season was delayed and because there was this extenuating circumstance that the parties agreed to uh, suspend the CBA and renegotiate the terms with which they came back from the pandemic to play the season. So everything was on the table again. That's the reason we had expanded playoffs for one year. It's the reason we had universal DH for one year. It's because this, the current CBA was on pause, basically. And they were playing under the terms of this modified agreement to the CBA. And this this pandemic modified agreement that they they claimed that everything that changed was because of the pandemic not as many regular season games so more playoff games to make up for some of that revenue uh we don't i don't really remember the justification for the universal dh for why for why it was during the pandemic season it didn't really make a ton of sense but whatever um the owners tried to pitch the universal DH as this crazy pro labor thing. We're giving you a whole another job. There's going to be there's going to be 15 more guys or 20 more guys who are going to be signed as mainly DHs who are going to their market value is going to increase because there's now 15 new jobs basically. And it's just not that. Like we know how the DH plays out in the American League. If you're a DH only guy, what's the most that you can possibly command? Like a one-year 20 million, like a Nelson Cruz type deal? And that's if you're the best of the best. You know, some American League teams are not rolling out hitters that are making one-year 20 million at the DH spot. So it's an interesting question in terms of the CBA. I do think that it will be in the CBA universal DH. It just seems uh, it seems neat to like tie this bow up like right after they've already experimented with it in the pandemic-shortened season. Um, but I don't think that it will ultimately be something that the players like agree to trade something as big as expanded playoffs. I think that it will be part of a larger uh, series of concessions that the owners give in exchange series of seemingly smaller concessions that add up to the big concession of expanded playoffs. Yeah. I think if you asked the owners off the record, how much they really cared about expanded uh, a universal dh i think they would probably tell you to go screw yourself because they really <laughs> it's not it's it's not on their mind i th- and frankly i think a lot of owners probably are like sure we'll we'll give you this you know make the leagues uh uh you know similar in that regard it's you know it it really does nothing to their bottom line right and bobby as you said in the 2020 season we didn't see 15 NL teams go out and spend big on thirty million dollars added to their payroll for a DH. That right. just didn't happen. Like it's just right, exactly. usually just DH the fourth outfielder who's the best. Right. Bat, you usually and you already keep have the defensive a guy. guy. Yes. Yes, exactly. That makes total sense. Um, as far as like rule changes are concerned, too, you know, aside from the universal DH, things that we just saw uh, you know, implemented all the way as low A this past minor league season was, you know, pitch clocks and, you know, all these experimental rules, the bigger bases. We just saw them in the Arizona Fall League with the ABS system, the automatic balls and strikes, which by the way, got to see firsthand, worked out great. Was wow. s- thoroughly surprised how well it worked out. And it was very funny to see all the batters turn around to argue and then realize that they couldn't argue anymore when <laughs> I know it's right. So I'm going to walk away. And also side note, the umpires total side note on this umpires not ringing guys up fun anymore because they're (laughs) waiting to hear if it's a ball or strike and so they went 
Oh, okay. Now I can ring him up. It was actually kind of lame, unfortunately. Um, but those kinds of things, you know, the the robot umps and all these like newfangled talking points. Are we going to see that at all in this CBA? So correct me if I'm wrong, Alex. I don't think that uh, like rule changes like that on the field rule changes are written in stone into CBAs. I think what happens is the commissioner's office has the right to make competitive changes along with a competition committee that is assembled by the commissioner's office that that is written into the CBA that he can make changes. So Manfred can impose rule changes like this on the players basically whenever he wants to. Now there are some things in the CBA that are defenses of this as my dog barks in the background and a helicopter goes overhead. I hope your listeners at home can't hear that, but there are some things that are written into the CBA. Like if this does jeopardize the health and safety of players, then Manfred can't do it. But, and obviously he can't go wild with it and start changing everything about the game of baseball because then fans would be mad and owners would be mad and it would hurt revenue. And wouldn't that be incredible though? I'd love (laughs) to see just give him the free power to do whatever he wants with the game. And, you know, and then the players union would fight over it next time around in the CBA. So he doesn't want to like completely upset the balance of competition and what's going on. It's not in his best interest either, but I don't think stuff like the, you know, uh, like for example, uh, automatic umpires. I don't think that's in the CBA at all, whether or not that they can impose that system. Um, the, the spider attack thing that we ran into last year, that is in the CBA because, um, that's cheating and it can result in suspensions, which can result in, you know, a player losing part of his salary. So that has to be written explicitly into the CBA. But if it's just stuff like balls and strikes, I think that's kind of at Manfred's full disposal. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we have even pitch clocks, in a sense, kind of sort of exist at the major league level. I mean, like they exist in name only in that they don't do anything, right? They don't really for Pedro Baez still has a has a job in Major League Baseball, which means they they don't really do that much. Not that I'm advocating for anyone to lose their job, right? We're pro labor here. But um but like that, for example, is something that doesn't exist in the CBA currently. There's nothing about pitch clocks in there. So Bobby, like you said, I think it's the kind of thing where they will come to an agreement and then Rob Manfred has the power to to actually implement them. I, I mean, I don't think we're going to see any of these in 2022. I think it's a little early for that. I mean, there, you know, and I was actually surprised that you had such rave reviews over the the automated balls and strikes As system. <laughs> because because, you know, we've heard some some conflicting reports come out of that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. That was it did not go off uh, without a hitch right away, right? There were some uh, there were some viral videos that were being floated around Twitter, right, where the where there's a curveball that drops in in the dirt that gets called for a strike because, you know, quote unquote, that's where it that's where it crossed the plate or whatever. So I I mean I think they're anxious to to try it out. That much is clear, but I don't think that any of them are necessarily incredibly imminent at the moment. Yeah, Another granted, example of this is MLB. <laughs> yeah, small sample size. Another example of this is MLB changing the ball. They just change it every year. Sometimes they change it halfway through a sure. year. That's not in the CBA. And they own Rawlings and they dictate you know, the competitive aspects of the game because it's their product. It's their management rights to change 
you know, what their product is at any point, as long as it doesn't affect these very explicit things that are written into the CBA that do protect the MLB Players Association that they have been able to fight for, things that will keep them safe, things that affect their compensation, um, more things like that. No, MLB would never change a certain piece of the game that actually impacted the outcome on the fields. I think that much is is true, right? When they changed the balls, everything was fine. It was the exact right. same game. Yeah, it went off without a hitch. Yeah, I mean, that was totally uh-huh. yeah smooth. Nobody had anything smooth to say sailing. about that. Yeah. Uh, before I let you guys run away, I know you got to get out of here and, and we're coming to the end here. One one last thing I wanted to touch on because I know it's like, super important for you guys. It's super important for me, a guy who's had multiple years in minor league baseball um, as a broadcaster and a media member and all that kind of stuff and someone who still follows it heavily and advocates for minor leaguers. And I know that's a massive part of your podcast. Um for fans that have seen these kind of things, especially us right here at home, McKeer and Lovegrove, right here in the Angels organization, um, is that at, I, I know the answer, but is that at all in, in the CBA, minor league stuff and all that kind of thing? I, I would, <laughs> it would be amazing if it was. I mean, again, that would be, you know, like waking up on Christmas Day as a kid. Like if it came into the CBA and they said, hey, we created a union also, as was just kind of off on the side as we were renegotiating. We're the a subunion contract. of the MOBPA yeah. now. No. It's uh, it's it doesn't work like that, right? I mean, they the the MOBPA contractually has no obligation to or legal fight or, or legal right to fight on behalf of minor leaguers. They're just they're not a part of the union. They they don't ha- they don't have to do that right and I don't necessarily begrudge them for doing that and you see a lot of players individually who are coming out with support and maybe partnering up with organizations I think that's more likely what you're gonna see and I, you know I think the closest thing that you'll see to that in the CBA is again like we said earlier fighting for the youngest players who are coming up right making sure that players who are in the minor leagues right now don't have any barriers to coming up to the major leagues. I think that's the, that's the closest thing that you'll see to to the MLBPA advocating for them. And an important distinction to make is it's it's kind of hard to understand this because it's very squishy. You might say like, well, these are baseball players employed by the New York Mets or the Los Angeles Angels or whoever else, the Kansas City Royals, right? Like, why aren't they part of the MLBPA? Well, it's, it's it specifies in the MLB, uh in the MLBCBA that it's only players who have been called up to the 40 man roster that are on that have, you know, made their major league debut are on the 40 man roster, get added to the 40 man roster. Those are the only people who are part of the union. And that is because part of negotiating part of labor negotiating is negotiating who is included in the union. You have to settle on who is a member of this union and who we're even talking about this legal document covering ahead of time and because of how old the MLBPA is, because of the the way that the the union formed, minor leaguers were not included in that. And so minor leaguers will have to form their own union or basically MLB players will have to strike until the owners accept the minor leaguers being added into their union. And both of those things are incredibly hard. The the latter results in a very, very long work stoppage, potentially over a year work stoppage. Probably the longest work stoppage we've ever seen because you're adding in, you know, twice as many players now into the union, which means it's twice as much headache for the owners, basically. They they have to deal with worrying about having to pay a lot more to minor leaguers who they are not paying anything to right now. And then the former version of that is that minor leaguers create their own union and they have a separate CBA negotiation against 
Major League Baseball. And that is also very hard for a lot of reasons that we've discussed a lot on our podcast. And if you want to hear more about that, we, we discuss it all the time. But primarily the the barrier to that is that these guys are all very young. They're very exploited. They're in disparate parts of the country. Not all of them are from the United States. Not all of them stay on teams longer than three months at a time. So it's very hard to do the work of forming a union and talking to your teammates and what that even entails if you are making less than minimum wage and trying to figure out your lease and, you know, being cut and being traded and getting sent down to single A and getting sent back up to double A like seven times a year. So, you know, there are a lot of really big hurdles. Um, I think something that Alex said that MLBPA on an individual case by case basis helps the minor leaguers out. Players help minor leaguers out. We saw David Price paying minor league salaries for a year when the Dodgers said that they weren't going to. Um, and the MLBPA making big donations to places like more than baseball. Um, that stuff is all very encouraging. And the reason that we even have housing for minor leaguers next year is because of all that stuff, because of all the swirling of pressure that's being added against owners because of the terrible PR of paying these players, lobbying Congress to pay these players less than minimum wage. Um, and because of people like Kieran Lovegrove, because he came out and talked about his true lived experience. We, the owners are afraid of that. The owners are afraid of workers talking about how they've been treated. They're afraid of players talking about how they've been treated in minor league baseball because it's honestly really despicable. So um, I'm glad. That, thank you for asking about that. And if you want to learn more about that, we talk about it a lot on our show, but we also sell merchandise that says unionize the minors and we donate the proceeds to more than baseball so that they can provide stipends to help minor leaguers afford housing and food and support their families. Yeah, if I would have worn that, it would have been. I I have a unionized minor shirt, and it, it would have felt a little too much wearing the band's shirt at a band's <laughs> concert. Uh, so I was like, ah, I'm not gonna do that. Um, and also love how you said uh, if the union, uh, if a minor league union forms, a, get a CBA against the owners in Major League Baseball is how you put that. And that's uh, well, that's what it is. I mean, it's a yeah. it's an yeah. argument against each other across the table, and you know, it doesn't always have to be like cr- crazy explosive. We hate each other, violent or anything sure. like that. Like it's sometimes glorified in unions of yesteryear but it is like a a legal battle you know like one side does you come to an agreement at the end a compromise at the end right but you're trying to win concessions and the other side is trying to win concessions well bobby alex this was maybe not the most riveting baseball talk that'll ever be on locked on angels i know it was very in the weeds and i appreciate everybody listening to all this stuff i mean it is very important and it, it it may not seem important um, from you know a casual fan's perspective, but knowing all this happening behind the scenes, it it kind of gives you uh, more insight into what you are paying for when you go to Angel Stadium and you walk into the ballpark. You know where that money is going, and in theory, where it's going, and and how it all shakes out for the players. So the, again, the podcast tipping pitches, great listen. I promise it's not as <laughs> as in the weeds sometimes. Sometimes it is, but that's the that's the good side of it. Uh, again, if you like Taylor Swift, just go listen to it. Um, but Alex, Bobby, thanks so much for checking us out again available on spotify apple all that stuff everything will be linked in the uh, episode description below thanks guys thanks steve thanks so much That's going to do it for us in today's episode of Locked On Angels. I'm Steve Granato at Steve Granato on Twitter. Of course, you can give us a call 714-409-6396. And our Locked On account is at Locked On Angels on Twitter. It's all linked down below. One more shout out again to Bobby and Alex. Everything is linked in the episode description. You can't miss any of it. 
Thanks so much for checking us out five days a week right here talking Angels baseball and, of course, getting you through the MLB lockout with everything you need to know. Uh, For your second listen of the day, after making this one your first, of course, Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, guys, we'll be back with more Angels goodness tomorrow. But till then, I'm Steve Granato. Later.